Hello and welcome to the Spiked podcast. On the 29th of January, Spiked US will be hosting Should We Be Free to Hate, a panel discussion at the New York Law School with Brendan O'Neill, Nadine Strossen and Paul Coleman. The event is free and open to the public and you can get tickets by going to spiked-online.com and clicking events in the top right corner. For this Spike podcast special, we spoke to panellist Paul Coleman. Paul is the executive director of the Alliance Defending Freedom and is author of Censored, How European Hate Speech Laws Threaten Free Speech. Here we get a taster of the discussion to come and find out what Europe can teach the rest of the world about the dangers of criminalising hate. This is from a junior minister of the UK government. She said the counter-extremism strategy has been future-proofed for future types of extremism that we cannot possibly imagine. So essentially, the government's saying that they want to create a concept of extremism that is so fluid, that is so movable and changeable, that it will capture speech in the future they can't even possibly imagine. And they're proud of this. They, they, they see this as a great thing. The idea that you can future-proof restrictions on speech is just a terrifying concept and a window into the mentality of many governments across Europe. It's become something of a cliché to say that hate speech is not free speech. Every European country has some kind of criminal law against hateful, insulting and offensive speech. But at the same time, freedom of speech is widely understood to be a fundamental human right and a cornerstone of democracy. I started by asking Paul how easy it is to distinguish between free speech and hate speech. It's hard to define what a hate speech law is because there is no universally agreed definition of hate speech. Um, And so lots of different people say hate speech is different things. And normally when you look at definitions, it's just a lot of synonyms of hate that are just used as a definition. So hate speech is speech that's offensive or insulting or something like that. But that doesn't get you any closer to defining what hate speech actually is. And so the dividing line between free speech on the one hand and hate speech on the other hand is almost impossible uh, to draw. We could say about hate speech laws that they are very fluid and subjective. Um, So if I I give you an example, you could uh, have an opinion on something um, that is your opinion is fixed. And a few years ago, your opinion might have been the mainstream. And then more recently, perhaps it's become a little bit controversial. And then at some point in time, that opinion, which has always stayed the same, then becomes uh, hate speech. Uh, And we see this with issues uh, connected to things like same-sex marriage, where um, people have held a view that marriage is between a man and a woman for a very long time, and all of a sudden that view um, is considered hateful. Uh, Now, the law itself has stayed the same throughout. Their opinion has stayed the same throughout. Uh, But because of this fluidity of the concept of hate speech, uh, a mainstream view can become uh, a hate view um, without anyone knowing how this happens. It's not all hatred that is policed. It's only certain types against certain people at certain times. And this is a hugely powerful tool for those who are in power. When we look at some of the cases um, that come out of these hate speech laws, I think they range from the outright ridiculous on the one hand to some very dangerous cases that have serious implications for people's freedoms. Probably the most ridiculous uh, hate speech case or incident that I've come across was in the UK 
where a student said to a police officer who's passing by, said, excuse me, uh, did you know your horse is gay? Uh, and he was um, investigated for hate speech, presumably uh, homophobia against the horse. I don't know. Case obviously didn't go anywhere. But the fact that some stupid comment like that can result in uh, a hate speech investigation shows how ridiculous these laws have become. Religious views in particular are in the firing line, says Paul. In 2009, Ben and Sharon Vogelenzang had a conversation in their guest house with a Muslim guest. Uh, they were Christians, their guest was Muslim, and they just had a, a, a breakfast time debate about the merits of their respective religions. Well, this uh, Muslim guest complained to the police. She felt that she had been insulted and a criminal prosecution ensued. Uh, it took a whole year for this prosecution to take place, during which time uh, the Vogelenzangs lost most of their business. And even though they were acquitted in court, it took one morning for the judge to hear the evidence and acquit Ben and Sharon of any offence. Um, they lost their business in the process. We see across Europe pastors, ministers, bishops, cardinals uh, being investigated by the police for things preached from the pulpit. We see private conversations becoming the subject of criminal investigation. And we see journalists and members of the media investigated and arrested by police for things that they've printed or things that they've said. It's an encouraging thought that by 2050 not a single person will be able to have a conversation like this. Except the proles. The proletariat don't count for animals. See the hanging. It was George Orwell who uh, first recognised that concept and wrote about it in 1984. Uh, that shrinking dictionary has begun and now we don't know where it will end. First of all, we saw racist speech banned and then speech that was considered Islamophobic, homophobic, transphobic, Christianophobic, misogynistic. The list goes on and on and the dictionary gets smaller and smaller. Any politically charged topic, anything that's particularly uh, controversial in modern European society is uh, potentially going to be the subject of criminal investigation. And so today that means topics like immigration and debating uh, whether or not uh, Europe should have open borders and if so, how, how that looks. Um, topics, for example, like uh, same-sex marriage, and as we've seen that debated across Europe, and um, issues surrounding other forms of public morality. All of these topics are controversial, they're all worthy of debate, and therefore they become the subject of criminal investigation. So, how does it all work? I asked Paul how the concept of hate was being used in Britain to clamp down on offensive speech. We increasingly see uh, what I call a hate industry developing, um, and there's just all sorts of hate labels that are getting thrown around almost interchangeably. So, for example, you have um, hate crime, um, which is where they say a crime has been committed, but um, with hateful intent, and somehow they have to figure out uh, when a crime was hateful uh, and when it wasn't. And, of course, we could say that all crime is hateful, in a sense. I mean, how do you say that one robbery was uh, a hateful robbery and the other one, uh, the robber, was not acting out of any sort of hatred? So you have hate crime, very difficult to explain and define. Um, hate speech, of course. And then hate incidents. And hate incidents are the most vague and subjective of them all because they are... Um, 
it's all in the subjective eye of the person who is deemed to have seen hatred take place. And then they report that incident to the police. It's recorded as a hate incident. Uh, there's no need for any proof. There's no need for any evidence. Um, there's no need for anything at all other than the person themselves saying it was a hate incident. And all of this fuels the hate industry because it creates these scary statistics that hate is on the rise. And this leads to the government, on the one hand, uh, having increasing powers to tackle all of this hatred, and then other people getting funding um, to track, to monitor, um, to report um, all of this hatred. And so it, this self-serving um, hate industry is developing. Anecdotal evidence and some police figures suggest there's been a huge rise in cases of racist abuse. The UN urged Britain to take action to prevent further abuse. We had a 41% rise in race hate. Across the board, there's been a 17% rise in hate crime over the past year, with over 94,000 offences recorded. I think the main justification that we see for hate speech laws across Europe is that um, hate speech inevitably leads to uh, violence and we want to stop this violence from taking place. Uh, we can't wait until it does, so we have to take a few steps back and nip it in the bud and um, target the speech before it inevitably leads to this future conduct. Uh, but there are several problems um, with this approach. It's very dangerous. Um, the first is that it's almost impossible to connect all of these previous uh, acts of speech and expression with anything that happens in the future. But secondly, even if we could somehow connect them, uh, the question is, um, do we want to essentially go back in time and preemptively criminalize things for fear that something may result in the future? So where does the concept of hate speech come from? Of course, Governments have always uh, restricted uh, speech of citizens in one way or another, but the rise of modern-day hate speech laws uh, can be traced back to the Second World War, just after the Second World War, with the rise of the United Nations and a lot of um, human rights treaties that were adopted at that time. And at that time, after the Second World War, you had essentially uh, the Western nations um, a Western, from a Western liberal tradition uh, and you had um, the Soviet Union and her communist allies who were major players at the time. And these completely different groups coming from completely different political traditions um, tried to come together and create what we have today in a lot of foundational human rights treaties. And the influence of the Soviet Union and these uh, communist nations can be seen throughout these UN treaties, but particularly in regard to the clauses on freedom of speech and hate speech that we see in these treaties. We can say with absolute clarity, and uh, there's no question at all, that the hate speech laws we have today can be traced back to totalitarian regimes of the last century, particularly the Soviet Union and her communist allies. They were able to insert restrictions in treaties which countries like the UK and the rest of the world then signed and adopted. And from these treaties flowed the hate speech laws that we have today. And if you go back and read the debates and read the records that took place in the 40s uh, through to the 60s, you can see that on the one hand, you had the Western liberal countries uh, opposing restrictions on speech, defending freedom of expression, and on the other hand, uh, the communist nations, the Soviet Union, these other totalitarian regimes 
calling for more censorship, uh, more restrictions on speech, calling for the banning, the criminalization of what they call fascist propaganda, uh, calling for the criminalization of incitement to hatred. And it was actually their influence that has now carried through to today. And so we have this great irony that all of these countries that once opposed restrictions on speech are now the most vociferous users of these speech laws. So what do hate speech laws look like across Europe today? And where are they headed? In Austria, it is a criminal offence to insult somebody. And if you go across the border to Germany, and they have an added twist, it's also a criminal offence to insult somebody in Germany. Uh, But there is a specific provision in their criminal code that says even if what you said is true, it doesn't preclude punishment. So you could face a prison sentence in Germany for telling the truth about somebody if they thought it was insulting. Uh, In Denmark, it's a criminal offence to insult uh, the flag of any nation, including the flag of the United Nations. And to insult that flag in Denmark carries a two-year prison sentence. Um, In Hungary, it's a criminal offence to incite hatred against the nation-state itself. So the nation can be a collective victim of hate speech in Hungary, and that carries a a three-year prison sentence. Uh, And in the UK, we have um, many different criminal restrictions on speech. We have incitement to hatred, uh, communications offences, public order offences. This is from a junior minister of the UK government. She said, the counter-extremism strategy has been a strategy for all forms of extremism, future-proofed for future types of extremism that we cannot possibly imagine. So she essentially... The government's saying that they want to create a concept of extremism that is so fluid, that is so movable and changeable, that it will capture speech in the future they can't even possibly imagine. And they're proud of this. They, they, they see this as a great thing. The idea that you can future-proof restrictions on speech is just a terrifying concept and a window into the mentality of many governments across Europe. Sadly, a lot of people think, well, these hate speech laws will never affect me. Uh, I'm a nice person. I would never say anything mean to anybody, so therefore I won't be affected. Uh, They think that these laws are only there to target uh, neo-Nazis and these um, uh, extreme racists in society. But what we see across Europe increasingly is that these laws uh, are affecting more and more people just regular people going about their everyday life, having private conversations, what they write about on Twitter, on Facebook, what they blog about, all of this is resulting in criminal investigations and police complaints. The scope of these laws expands uh, into more and more areas of everyday life. And so when we think about the battle for free speech and the battle against hate speech laws, uh, we have to remember it's not... Uh, just a battle to protect uh, a select few people. Uh, It's a battle to protect all of our freedom and to protect the health of our democracy, which is ultimately what's on the line. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Spike podcast. If you're in New York on the 29th of January, be sure not to miss Should We Be Free to Hate at the New York Law School. To register for your free ticket, just go to spiked-online.com. The Spike podcast will be back on Friday as usual, so see you then.